Welcome to the Present and Sober podcast with your hosts, Sam Goldfinch and Ellie Crow. If you want to make your life bigger, not smaller, then this is the podcast for you. If you can sense that you're destined for more and you're curious about how drinking could be holding you back, listen in and come on this journey with us. Through the interplay of mind and body practices, we will help you elevate your daily life and discover the wonder and potential of going alcohol free. Let's make life bigger together. Happy Tuesday, lovely people. It is a beautiful day here in the UK, but it's a very uncertain world right now. And um, there's a lot of crazy things going on with uh, Russia and the Ukraine. And I think having a support network and having somewhere where you can share at times like this is really important. So feel free to come and join the Facebook group if you're looking for somewhere where you've got some community and somewhere to, to feel uplifted at what is a difficult time. And uh, right, so this week we're going to talk about the moderation um, thing. Okay, we're going to talk about moderating alcohol now for many of us wherever we are in our journey if we're in the moderation part of the journey beforehand um, long since gone um, it's a really important topic and you know we're all about being present and sober we, we see that as being a wonderful choice but we also know that for both me and Ellie and for many of us moderation is part of the journey it can teach us things about the nature of alcohol um, that other things can't and it can be a great uh, stepping stone on the path to freedom so wherever you are on your journey if you're someone who's um, as I say moderating right now or someone who's perhaps alcohol free and has been for years there will be reminders in here we are essentially going to walk and talk around the question of is is moderation worth it if it's something that we that we want to do how do we go about it um, and you know if it's something that we don't want to do what, what do we do with that so it's a two-parter um, we we do talk about this it's it's nuanced it's uh, it's not black or white a lot of this stuff and uh, there's kind of paradoxes in here as well so we're going to do our best to kind of frame this picture as something that's been in the pipeline for a long time so we're excited to put it out there so awesome without further ado I will uh, hand you over to me and Ellie hello lovely people happy Tuesday love a Tuesday and uh, we've got, we're going to chat about something today that, um, well, uh, we've been meaning to talk about this for ages, right, Ellie? We, um, mm. It's a big one. We're going to talk about moderation. And, you know, look, so for some of us, you're going to be like, okay, well, this podcast is called Present and Sober. And you will, but like, anyone who listens to this will know that me and Ellie absolutely fly the flag for a beautiful alcohol-free life. We're very, very um, invested in helping people get there. But we also know that we all have our own journeys. And definitely for me, moderation was a part of it. There's no trade for experiencing something. You know, you can tell yourself something over and over again, but when you learn the truth of something deep, that's important. And I think um, moderation means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And um, we would, we just wouldn't feel like we were doing the right thing if we didn't have a really deep conversation about it right so so that's what we're going to do for you um over two distinct parts ellie do you want to talk about the kind of the general flow of this or maybe i'm just going to say hello 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 first <laughs> so you're not allowed you're not allowed to say hello Hello. i'm doing hello this week hello lovely <laughs> listeners uh moderation's super important mm. and it was um my entry point to this naked mind was the whole moderation conversation oh yeah of course and I think that's why it's really important to cover it and and actually I think we'll come back and talk about this many times in many different forms there are going to be people that are at all different stages of their 
journey and I don't think I'm not sure how else I would have found my way into this but through moderation because that's exactly what I was trying to do Hmm. to manage the the pain that I was in and the the being stuck well that's the interesting thing right often we're not trying to moderate the alcohol per se even though we feel like that we're trying to moderate the bad effects of it right or the Mm. the ways it's impacting us we don't often think of it in that way but um yeah i i'm pretty sure like because this is not black and white the the freedom that i feel now is directly related to moderation attempts Mm. um and me and you we've got no interest in projecting our belief system or not even belief system just our way of seeing the world on anybody oh, have we so we want this to be an exploration an experiment and discovery and for people to make the choice it's right for them so we go into this in that spirit mm. um and i'm quite yeah i'm quite excited to talk about this because it's there's so many layers to this there really are so many layers to this there are and I almost don't want to talk about how we're going to split the episodes because I don't want people to miss the first half and just go to the second half let's not then let's go stealth (laughs) yeah we're gonna we're gonna do this in in a stealth fashion and the starting point really I think it would be helpful first to just frame why moderation is so alluring and uh interesting to people Mm -hmm. and you don't have to you don't have to step too far to find that like this i tell you what do you know what really pisses me off when you hear drink responsibly oh on the poster well yeah yeah, well i mean because it insinuates that it's your responsibility to do so and if you can't do that then therefore you're you're you've messed up like and Mm -hmm. and um I think we don't really think about that, but that's like a subtle, uh, that's important. Like sticking that at the bottom of a, of a poster is like, oh, well, that's okay then. We're absolved of any kind of responsibility because exactly. it's your fucking exactly. job to drink responsibly. It's, yeah. it's your so, job to drink responsibly. And, and what does that mean? What does drinking responsibly mean? In a suit. <laughs> yeah, in a suit. In a suit. Because you, know, so you, you could drink, one person could drink, a quantity that is vastly less than somebody else and still perhaps behave like a hooligan, right? So, yeah. yeah. So what what does that even mean? You're never, you must never swear. That's what it means. You must never swear. Yeah, that's We're stuffed. Fly. That's never fly. <laughs> We're stuffed. Um, you said something really interesting about the allure though. Mm. And that's multi-layered as well. So... I think for many people, it's viewed as the golden ticket, right? It's like, oh yeah, well that would be, that's like the the goal, like the the end goal is like if you could just take it or like drink as much as you want whenever you want, and you know I could just say I'm only going to have two drinks tonight, and I'd I'd never mess up, and I'd never, you know, but often I don't know how you feel, Ellie, but people will have heard us talk a lot about and and in reference to our recent episode with Scott, and if you haven't listened to that, go back and tune in because it's all about how story affects our reality. Like if we if we, for example, start to just have an idea or just start to think about something like having a month off of booze or a year or a lifetime, right? We don't have, like, that's not real in the sense of it. We haven't lived that. So we come up with a construction and then we live in that. So because we don't know what forever means, we create 
what we think it might mean. And then it freaks us out. And then we're like, oh my God, right. Well, you know, then I'll, then I'll, you know, it might push us to be like, oh, well, I'll moderate then. Or perhaps we like go for a month and, you know, we're worried about what the extension of that would be or what it would mean for the future. So we, so it becomes alluring for us to kind of find this middle ground. It's like, oh, well, I, you know, I don't know if, if I'm making any sense. There. That's, that's a piece of this for me. Yeah. I think that whenever, whenever I hear anybody contemplating moderation, it prompts me to, the coach in me wants to get to the bottom of what's the belief. There's a belief, there's a deep seated belief there that there is some kind of benefit because sure. otherwise, otherwise you wouldn't be entertaining the idea at all. And I think closely aligned with that is that I think it's so alluring because it's seen as the way out of the life of misery that you're going to have yeah. by, by not drinking. The black and white, dull, grey, I'm never going to have fun again. Like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? How am I going to cope with this? How am I going to cope with that? Like, oh, God, no way. I'll mm. moderate. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and, and the paradox with that is that, and this is my view, because of what I know about the science of how it works with the brain and body, the moderation's the prison and the, the freedom and the life of technicolor is liberation from the substance. Yeah. Well, there's some really funky stuff going on here as well. Like the moment someone says to themselves, I think I'm going to moderate, at some level they've acknowledged that the relationship they have with alcohol isn't working. So at some point, a line was crossed. Mm -hmm. This like, so once you get, it's like people who can truly take it or leave it, they're not asking themselves, can I take it or leave it? Like, it just doesn't occur to them. And interestingly, on our journey through, you know, alcohol, out to alcohol use disorder, whatever you want to, you know, however you want to talk about it, spectrum, gray area drinking spectrum. I think a lot of what we're, it's actually a moving target the whole time. Like, moderation as a thing doesn't exist it means different things to different people and the reference point we have when we look back in the past and we're like damn why can't I just drink like I used to when I was in my 20s the thing is in your 20s you were not thinking about it in the same way like you may even have been drinking more than you are now but the energy behind it was different it wasn't occurring to you to be like am I drinking too much maybe you were caught up at uni or maybe you, you know whatever it was right so that thing that you're referencing back to of, oh, if only I could drink like I used to. Well, that was a process as well. Like over time, your body and you were learning like a shifting relationship with alcohol. Mm. Um, so it's kind of an illusion. We're, and in some ways, we're craving for, so we're looking for something that never really existed in the sense in which we want it to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, real. Which is really important to know because it's like a slippery fish and <laughs> 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 everyone's got like a, every time you're just trying to catch a fish and it keeps flinging out your hands. You know, it's like, where is this moderation thing? What exactly is it that you speak of? Show yourself. I love the slippery fish idea. <laughs> I'm a slippery fish, you know. <laughs> um. It is. It is. Um, I, th I think there's, there comes a point where we're going to, we, we, I think we do need to talk a little bit about the, 
about because what the, there's an element of nodding to tolerance in what you were saying and oh. i think we need to talk about tolerance and we need to talk about the science but before we traverse there in thinking about this you know <laughs> drinking responsible responsibly business and the allure of moderation there is something also within this of like has anybody ever said to you that phrase of a little bit of what you fancy does you good have you ever had that yeah of course loads of people say that don't they do you believe it i mean i don't know depends what you it depends what you're talking about doesn't it like i think so for example i mean that totally depends on what you're talking about and it depends at what level doesn't it like you can't you can't apply that to alcohol um in the, set, do, like, in the same People way that do. you would apply it to like you know going for a run <laughs> like anything you can drink too much water that will in the end be bad for you you know it's not <laughs> it's like it depends how you're looking at it but yes mm. you're right people do but that's the story that's out there mate isn't it like uh you know glass of red wine a day and all this kind of, it's very easy mm. like whatever story you want about alcohol whatever you want to support yourself with you can go and you can get in a rabbit hole and find evidence for that because the social current people just it's all out there right so finding unbiased information is it's not as hard as people think it is, but you've just, you've got to go out there and actually think critically, read a number of sources, like go and find people that you trust and not just listen to what Dave is saying down the pub. <laughs> Bloody Dave down the pub, down the Even dog and duck. Slippery fish down <laughs> the slippery fish. fish. And his eels. <laughs> and his kippers. What's he doing with kippers? Jelly deals. He must, must be in Essex. And his pickled eggs. Oh God. Actually, I say that. I reckon I probably quite like them now. You say pickled eggs. Yeah, I've never oh, had. I, I mean, I've never had a pickled egg. I mean, I love. I mean, I mean eggs, but and <laughs> but I'm not one for pickle. You know, <laughs> vinegar. I never. I don't put vinegar on my chips. Oh, why, Sam, make, why would you want to make your chips soggy? I think I may have to reevaluate our relationship based on the fact that I don't want to put. Does thou not chips. want now soggy with thou chips? What about gravy? Mate, I'm a southerner. I will. Oh, yeah. oh, you're yeah. a heathen. Well, it's because I you live in the bloody north. You you should be acclimatized by now. Two you know things what? in the north. To be fair, gravy on chips is pretty good. I, and Amen. but you know, if if you basically it's mayonnaise, isn't it? Anything else is wrong in the sense that that's the the pinnacle experience with chips. So if you think anything else, you've gone up the wrong pathway. What's that Spanish proverb? No matter how far you've gone down the wrong path, turn around and go back. Sort yourself out. I think that was a bit of a. We how we ended up in this in this conversation. What were you saying about moderation? Oh, I'm completely bloody lost now, mate. Just, <laughs> oh, I, it was the, the a little bit of what you fancy, like gravy oh, yeah. on your chips does you good. Uh, the thing the thing is with it's it, and and what you were talking about was you can go and find whichever whatever data, whatever story you want to support your belief. And that's much easier than going and interrogating the belief. Sure. And sure. Determining what's really true. And the problem with the former going and finding the data that supports your current worldview, the issue with that, when it's a little bit of what you fancy does you good, 
is that it doesn't feel, it doesn't actually feel good because your true authentic self with a capital S knows that it's an excuse. You're giving yourself permission for something that is utter bullshit. And the reason it's painful is because that pointy end of painful is your authentic self giving you the nod as to where you need to look. The big, the big thing for me is this, <clears throat> regardless of how you think it feels, if you knew that you could have well-being and peace and clarity and joy and all those things available to you without any price tag attached, like mm. how appealing would that be? Because mm. you know, I lose count of the amount. So I talk to a lot of people, obviously, and I or, or very often say, what would you love to have happen in your life? And often it might be what well, I'd love to be able to control alcohol. So, like, okay, I'm like, come on. What, if anything were possible, what would you love? Are you, t- are you telling me that if you could have all the things that you believe alcohol gives you right now without all of the pain and the shite, you're saying that that wouldn't be appealing? Oh, hell yeah, that would be appealing. But the thing is, it's not available on the options table because the belief is blocking it. Mm. It doesn't. It's like, yeah, but but is that possible then? You telling me that that's what's possible? I'm like, hell yeah, I'm living it every single day. But we're gonna, it might take us a little while to get there. And if this is what's brought you to the table or to the party, that's good enough. Let's go. Mm. Um, Should we do science then? Yeah, love science. Come on, you're the teacher. Well, where, where where do we want to start with the tolerance piece? Yeah, so yeah, let's start there because what you were saying earlier on was that you were referring to this illusion, which I think is a great way of explaining it because it it, it isn't moderating until you're trying to moderate. It's just what it's it just is. What you're doing, yeah. Um, and the <clears throat> the natural order of things t- is typically that people drink more over time and not less. And this is because alcohol as an addictive drug calls for more of it to achieve the same result, not less of it. Sure. And so this is why, like, if you, if you're in a place where you're thinking in any way about your drinking, just consider 10 years ago now, and are you drinking less than or more than 10 years ago? Well, people people often say like, is, uh, you know, why can't I, so, you know, you're you're 16 or you're 18 or you're 20 or whatever, and you drink a certain amount of alcohol and there's a, and there's a physiological response. So there is a release of dopamine and then the body after a while, it's not so used to it. Then it releases dynorphin in order to counteract and bring down to downregulate the pleasure center of the brain. Mm -hmm. Now your body's getting more adept at that as you go over, as you go through time. Now, most people don't think about it, but this is tolerance, right? Tolerance keeps us safe. If you were to go and drink half a bottle of vodka the first time you drink, you're going to be in a real pickle, right? Probably getting your stomach pumped. But then by the time you're 10 or 15 years down the road, like for some people, they can drink that and a whole lot more. And mm. tolerance is keeping you safe to some extent. It's, But it's, it's a double-edged sword because obviously you need more f- to try and get this same effect. And actually in the end, you end up in this kind of completely dysregulated state where your neurotransmitters are 
like the end of it is that you you effectively get to a point where you're drinking and you you want it you have the craving but then drinking it it just takes that away that's like as good as it gets you end up not getting any kind of lift or anything from it at all so played out long term I mean I know this from personal experience it's no fun at all and that's a moving thing that's happening over time um so when you're in your early 20s and you're kind of uh, your body's less adept at uh, like bringing the down regulating chemicals into your body and, and you know you're getting a certain effect people are like well why why can't I just do that in my late 20s or early it's well because because it's changing because you know your your neural pathways are shifting your body's response to this toxin is shifting as well so it won't it doesn't it doesn't feel the same it's not and the problem but the problem is your mind will throw up images of you like mine used to do this all the time like you know it throws up an image of you sat in a beer garden when you were 21 you know having that like oh moment you know with a with a cigarette and this and, and like oh everything's bliss but actually was it at the time for one <laughs> like was it that great is the big question because you weren't consciously it's like a snapshot, a chemical snapshot of something that happened years ago. And your body will leverage a few of those kind of memories in. Mm. What, it, what it edits out is the reality of like where it actually is now. Like I used to be like, my brain would be like, oh yeah, you know, think about that time then. And but like, meanwhile, it's been absolutely awful for 10 years. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'd like to laugh at it. It's not funny, but it, it's funny how it works. And yeah. The, the other thing that's playing into this is fading effect bias. Sure. So the, the I will I always say this is you know the reason that you have more than one child because you you forget uh, and 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 that's again this is how wonderful the brain and body is. It's your brain trying to protect you by um, you know removing the the experience of just how painful it is. Um, there was something else I was thinking about when, oh, the other thing that, that occurred to me when you were talking is it's this whole idea about scratching the itch. Mm -hmm. So initially you don't have an itch to scratch, but the drinking over time and the building of tolerance, which is often seen as a badge of honor, frankly, but what that, what that's doing is, the substance is then creating its own itch that needs to be scratched. Yeah, so and this, this, got, this is a really important point because I think a lot of people, I really want to shine a light on something. It's like if you're somebody who say drinks at the weekend or a few bit, like I got to the point where I was drinking every single day, right? So that kind of like Friday night or the Wednesday night, oh, I fancy a bit, didn't exist anymore because it was just a given that I was going to go home and get trashed, right? So, but Actually, that voice that's saying to you on a Wednesday or a Thursday after you've recovered from the weekend, oh, you fancy a beer. Hey, that feels like it's you, doesn't it, right? But how would withdrawal talk to you? How would it talk to you other than a than a sensation mm. in your body and like a whisper? Like that is the effect of... With, and, and do you know what's wild is that I can speak from personal experience of that when I had that 19 months away and then I drank I could because I knew so much and I'd read about this naked mind and those it was really weird I just felt flat I got no real high at all from those drinks without the withdrawal from because I'd had nothing there was nothing there was no itch to scratch yes. it was wacky yeah. now that I learned something very very important on that day 
Yeah. And interestingly, here's here's something wild. I was going to only drink one or two beers that night, obviously, because what else are you going to do? After? What happened was felt flat, felt weird, felt way worse than I had before because I was feeling great. Right. Had a few more drinks. I'm like, this isn't working. Then I start. Then I switch to the spirits. And then suddenly I start feeling. And do you know what, why that is? Why is that? Well, because I was withdrawing from the first few beers that I'd had. So it wasn't until later in the night that chemically my body was going, oh, because at that point, alcohol was leaving my system and, and it wanted yeah. to be topped up. That These things, we don't normally see them. They're, they're invisible to us. But mm. that's what's going on. This stuff is working in the background all the time. And if you, if you haven't done the exercise of uh, determining what it's like, th this whole scratching the itch business. If, if you haven't done the exercise, and there's a great, um, we'll have to get the chapter from William's book, I know I've referenced it before, where he talks about just having the one drink and then seeing the effect play out physiologically and feeling what it's really, really like. If you haven't done it and you, you're a drinker, then it's, it's such a powerful thing to do. And when you were explaining your experience there, it just, it took me right back to Lapland, UK. So I, this is December, 2019. I've stopped drinking and I'm in the liminal space of not drinking, no desire to drink, awaiting the start of the live alcohol experiment in 2020 as a participant. And because I was worried a little about making this big declaration. I stopped drinking to my husband and then falling flat on my face. I didn't tell him I wasn't drinking. So I just quietly stopped drinking. And after a week or so, maybe it might've been even longer that we, we were going to Lapland UK with the kids right before Christmas. And I was like, I was just in that joyful kiddie state, even though it was getting up early in the morning, it was a long drive down there you know, all, all the same things as before, but I wasn't hungover. I wasn't withdrawing from booze. And I got down there and I was like, you know, love Christmas. I was absolutely full of it. Start the day and we're going to making gingerbread with Mrs. Claus and all of that business. Toys in the toy factory. And we got halfway through the day. And all the time, I'm just really hyper aware of how I feel and really thankful that I'm getting to enjoy it and be present with my kids this is me very early in stopping drinking. And at lunchtime, my husband went off to, to get us something to eat. And he came back with something to eat. And for me, he got me a little single serve wine. And I remember this feeling of like, it was this like disheartened, oh, I was doing like really well. I don't really want to drink. Mm. But my first reaction was, I can't waste it. I can't, can't waste a shitty single serve wine. <laughs> what the fuck? Um, but the second thought that I had, which was the better thought was, I wonder what happens though. I wonder if it's really that bad. That was my thought. And so I decided to drink this wine and we were outside in the cold. And the only thing that I noticed as my blood alcohol content is rising. So where we would typically get that euphoric feeling where the, the pleasure center of the brain has been artificially overstimulated. I didn't get any euphoric feeling. Why is that? Because I was already high, right? I was already mm. naturally high and in a good state and feeling really good. So there was nowhere else to go. Um, 
The only thing physically I noticed was I felt warm, right? And that warming effect when you drink and we're outside and it's cold. So no surprise there. And so that 20 minutes that we usually talk about where your blood alcohol content's rising and you would normally feel those, it might be euphoria, feelings of elation, relaxation, whatever the feelings that I didn't have that. Um, there was no itch to scratch, right? So then what happens? Well, we then went ice skating with the kids, right? And it was fun, but, you know, it's cold and one of them slipped over and is wet from head to foot. Another one's ran off in another direction. Another one's struggling with their boots. And as my blood alcohol content started to fall, bear in mind, I wasn't having another drink to alleviate the effect, I felt dysphoria fully, like the full extent of it, all around the second half of Lapland UK. Took my dysphoria to see Santa Claus, didn't I? It was horrible. <laughs> it felt fucking awful. And I remember thinking, because I started getting a bit irritable and a bit snappy with the kids and, and all of that sort of stuff. And I remember thinking, wow, like this, this is it. This is it. And I was a little bit annoyed with myself because I was like, I was having a fantastic day before mm. I chose to drink that. And now look at what's happened. And sure enough, the rest of the afternoon was like dealing with the, the, the feelings, the agitation, the unease. It's a really nasty, horrible feeling. And it's particularly nasty when you get stuck in traffic on your way home with kids that are in the back wired and tired and, you know, you try to get around the M25 right before Christmas, gridlock track, like it was, and so it's, it's heightened even more, these feelings. And, and, and this is the thing about like the merry-go-round, once you get on it, you can't get off it again easily. You just got to let it play out. Which is one of the, and like, yeah, that thing you said is a few things that occur to me. I really, I want to put a big sign that says flashing lights on this one because this is important because a lot of people they hear their blood alcohol content rising for 20 to 30 minutes and they call bullshit on it because they're like well i know that i can feel good for two or three hours it's like yeah but you're then drinking again mm. and there's a payoff to that so there's two things here if you are a drinker you can absolutely test this out yourself you can have a drink and then you can wait and you can wait 90 minutes and see how you feel Right. Mm -hmm. And there is an episode we'll, we'll reference the the chapter in William's book where he goes through the actual um, exercise. But and you'll get you'll you'll witness this euphoria, um, dysphoria for yourself. Right. The other thing is, if you aren't a drinker, if you're if you're completely free, well, if you're completely free, you know, this won't be worrying you at all. But if you if you feel like, mm, I don't know, like the moderation thing, just ask yourself, just actually have a bit of a, of a reflection here. Like how many times did you just stop and have one drink in the pub right without then having more or was there a time where you went shopping with the kids and you stopped and you had a glass of wine and then you went into the shopping mall and the whole time you were thinking about when can I have the next drink or did you have a drink before the cinema and then go and have an experience in the cinema where the whole time you were consumed with when's the next drink or did you just never do that Actually, a lot of people are like, well, I'd never drink before the cinema because they know that there's a two hour window where they can't drink. Now, you might not know it consciously, but subconsciously, you know that once you start, you want to keep going because the idea of starting and then stopping for a long period leads to those feelings like and, and often like this is why people will say I'd rather not drink than drink one or two. 
Mm. That mechanism is at play. Mm. Um, and yeah, like that is, it's, it's, you know, it's an important thing to reflect on. It really is. Cause the, cause the other thing that I think is important off the back of this to acknowledge is that none of our drinking exists in a vacuum. So one week where you go out and you like get it perfect and you only drink the four beers, for example, once in a blue moon where you kind of like that didn't happen in a vacuum that you've got to remember that the week before where you got absolutely rat assed and threw up and had an argument with your missus and the, and the week after where like, so you can, your brain is going to hold these moments up in front of you and be like, look, here's the evidence you can do it. But I think Annie even says this in one of her books, every time you go and have one of those nights where you lose willpower or you get overexcited about it, what do you do? You go and get trash the next weekend <laughs> because mm. you get caught up in the. I used to do this every week. So I used to stop going out on a Friday night because it was easier to stay in because I didn't want to, because I knew that if I went out, I'd drink loads and then I wouldn't feel good on the Saturday. So I'd stay in on a Friday, drink a few, and then I'd go out the next day. And if I hadn't, you know, if I'd kept myself to my two or three beers on a Friday night or whatever, I'd be like, oh, well, free reign to go mad on Saturday then. Then I'd lose Sunday every single week and then I'd be drinking Monday night to make myself like and just these cycles like I don't think we have enough um we don't sit and look at them in the cold light of day we don't realize that they're running no we don't we and 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 if all you ever did was put attention to it it's it's so powerful what you can teach you you don't you don't need to consider that you have a problem or alcohol use disorder or what like you don't it doesn't need to be that as a thing it's just like you're putting this in your body it's carcinogenic it's a poison it's a drug don't you want to understand fully how it works and how it feels for you so i can tell you how it felt for me visiting santa claus full of dynorphin but (laughs) you know even like sounds like a bad book (laughs) yeah I should write that, shouldn't I? A shit comic. <laughs> yeah, shit comic. <laughs> um, but it's like I can think of times where, because I, if I if I put myself back to where I was at, previously, and I've heard and people have said this to me, it's like, oh well, I don't I don't feel depressed after I've drank. I don't notice that depression. It's like, yeah, it's not necessarily depression, but do you feel that tiredness? Do you feel that unease? Yeah. Uh, and what you reference is important because I think a lot of people are like, well, they know that alcohol is a depressant chemically, but that doesn't, that there's a lot of misconception about what that means in terms of the experience that you have. It's depressing your central nervous system. Yes. So it's having a certain effect on your body. Now, what that means is that in order to counteract that, your body is going to release stimulants to some extent. It's going to counteract it with the opposite. Um, and your body will process the, dis- the depressant effects of alcohol out quicker. So you're left with the wide, but tired, jittery, post-piss paranoia, beer fear, anxiety, whatever you want to call it, whatever you want to call it, it's that feeling. And yeah, you're right. Do you have that kind of feeling about you? You know, I don't know. I, I, I mean, just, just, it's, it's lovely to be free of it. I'll say that much. And, and oh, yeah. as we're going through this conversation, we're not trying to, this isn't genuinely, we're trying to just put what's happening out there out there because yeah there's a lot of misconceptions about what's going on there are there'll be so many people that will wake up in the middle of the night unable to get back to sleep or with some difficulty of getting back to sleep 
because of that stimulant effect that you're talking about. And they will not relate it directly to what they drank the night before. I'm an anxious person. I've got this thing that I'm worried about with work sure. or I'm worried about electricity prices or you, you, we, we don't join the two. So what, what all we're trying to do here is give you information breadcrumbs to go and follow and like just work just work it out for yourself go and do the exercise and have the one drink and then see what it feels like because blood alcohol content rise in 20 minutes blood alcohol content fall in four to five hours enjoy (laughs) it's bloody awful and that's what you have to remember is that every time you stack another drink to not get those feelings the bill in the morning keeps going up Mm. Well, there's two things. There's that. And the other thing is when you have the second drink to alleviate the discomfort from the first, then you don't get as much stimulation. Yeah. So if you think about it in a graphical context, you don't go up as high the second time. And then you have this dump of dynorphin into your system again, which means that you go lower than where you started from. Hence why you get to this drinking for the sake of it mode. You're like, why do I do that? Like, mm. I hit time. why do I, why am I drinking the 10th pint, the 11th pint? I know it's not doing anything for me yet. I don't, at that point, I can't stop. And like at that point, <clears throat> yes, alcohol is a depressant, but it's a very interesting um, chemical in that it will have stimulant like effects and all sorts of different things going on. And, and in the end, you know, when it gets to its really horrible ends and it's, like an anesthetic and it's doing some pretty funky stuff in our system and like you know we can't walk properly we can't talk you know our body is telling us i don't want this in me i want it out so i want you know, i need you to purge this you know that's the reality of this that it's taken to its extreme like we we don't sort of think about that enough either but we're kind of trying to moderate like in trying to maintain that feeling that we want we end up in a right old fucking pickle because it, it you like it's like a trick it, like it gives it for a short time like you say and then it's and that's why people talk about the golden hours that like you know the bit of time at the beginning and then at the end like we're crying there's no connection we're like falling down steps we're arguing with our partners we're doing things we'd never do we're dancing on tables we're fucking you know all that shit that we do mm. and and it, it, the insidious thing with it is so when you were talking about tolerance earlier, you were saying about like, you know, your, your brain and body is concerned with keeping you alive. And so being able to process it more efficiently is part of that. And then when you drink to the point of being sick, that is your body and your brain preventing you from dying from alcohol poisoning. It's a marvelous thing, even if it doesn't feel like it. Um, but the insidious thing is that your brain, because of the uh, artificial overstimulation of the pleasure, pleasure center of the brain, and particularly with repeated use, and particularly if you drink to, in inverted commas, self-medicate, and by that it can be just for relaxation purposes, then your, your brain believes that it needs this thing, it needs a drink to stay alive Mm. because nothing is going to, other than hard drugs, nothing is going to stimulate 
the pleasure center of the brain to the same degree. You're not going to release the same levels of dopamine. And this is why over time we lose interest in all the other things because yeah. reading a book, um, your romantic relationship, watching your movie, going for a walk, all even even you know your maybe not my yoga class I still did yoga and then had a drink afterwards but you know these things that if you look at your life as a drinker like I used to do all sorts of bloody stuff and then towards the end of my drinking career I went to yoga and then I drank yeah (laughs) but this is this is it you you so you're not only only building tolerance to the substance you're building like a tolerance to life and fun this is and this is also why for so many people i talk to more and more people now that are reaching out and saying sam can i come and have a conversation with you about cocaine about mdma about these other drugs that are i'm getting to a point in the evening where i really don't want to do this but i'm finding myself do it every single week and Mm. what you will notice very often is the pattern is you get flat on alcohol it's not working then you start going and looking for whatever else because you you're craving that high so you start lacing things on top and and it you know it's a slippery slope and so a lot of people will say like, I just want to stop the cocaine at the weekends. Or I want to, you know, stop with MDMA or whatever, whatever it is. Right. When actually the alcohol is, you know, I mean, laugh, it makes me smile when people talk about, you know, gateway drugs and all this kind of discussion. Well, alcohol, because of the nature of what's happening chemically is very often leading people to, to make decisions like that on repeat. And it's very normal. Like, Maybe not for everybody listening to this podcast, but for a lot of people all around the world right now, it's very, very normal to go out on Friday or Saturday night, get blasted and then go and go and buy cocaine or go and buy whatever. It's the norm. And mm. so, well, look, here's um, what occurs to me. I don't know if it seems like a right time to do this, Ellie, but I, th- all of that said, all of that said, it's none of this is... Uh, a swap for the understanding whether whether what you think is moderation is actually possible for you. Like, and what a lot of people don't do is actually write down what it would be for them. Like, what would moderation actually be for me? And I think the reason why people don't do that is one, it doesn't occur to them because all they're doing is like, oh, I'm just gonna try and drink less. Just this kind of like soft overarching attempt but they've never really sat and thought, well, I'm going to write down what it means, possibly because in doing that, you make it real because you acknowledge if I can't do that thing, if I can't only drink four pints on a Friday night or whatever it is. And well, how many times am I going to do that until I'm going to say to myself, this can't go on any longer. Well, you make, you make it real and it's shit. It looks shit. Yeah. Uh, so me, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll drink less because I'm worried about my health and I'm drinking too much. Right? I'll drink less. What does that mean? I'll only drink on a weekend. What does that mean? Midweeks, shit. (laughs) Because my life is still the same. Because I'm not looking at anything in any different kind of a way. I've still got the same stresses. I've still got the need for relaxation and no other means of regulating my nervous system or down-regulating my nervous system. I've got no self-care. Like nothing's changed. The only thing that's changed is I've made a decision about I'll only drink on a weekend and so I I think part of the reason why we don't want to define it too greatly is not not it's not just the fear of failure it's the it looks shit 
as much <clears throat> like you don't you don't want to drink less the whole point with cognitive dissonance is you're wanting to drink less and more at the same time and that's why it is so it's such a mind fuck and it's why your head is so full of noise and why in programs like we're both coaching in this naked mind um in the path the uh, their program and people start off in what we call the pause phase because that that noise in your head is so such a distraction and mm. it pulls you you know you just pulled from one side to the other it's yeah and it, it's a bit like a of a it's a bit like one of those chinese finger traps where like do you know what i mean those things when you were a <laughs> yeah. kid don't know if that's what they're called if they're actually from china you get one i've got for no christmas. idea it's <laughs> a nice nice christmas present for you when you were a yeah. kid <laughs> um but yeah wherever they're from but they you know it's kind of this thing and the interesting thing is you're not just saying to yourself oh yeah i'm gonna try and drink like a normal person in inverted inverted comments right i'm gonna i'm gonna try and do something that my body has learned the opposite of so i'm now going to tell it i'm going to tell it that it only wants x amount when actually over those years of tolerance and it's learned that it it that's not going to work so we end up in this kind of like pressure cooker um and yeah so we end up yo-yoing anyway but i think that i think that is an important thing though if you are somebody who has been thinking to themselves yeah i want to see if moderation is for me well i think it's really important to actually be brave enough and sit to sit down and write down well what would moderation for me even look like like if this were going to work what would it need to look like now you might look at that piece of paper and you might be like if this were to work well that's what it would look like and then that may feel like a prison looking at it. <laughs> well, that's some data, isn't it? You might be like, well, I'm going to give that a go and see. Um, I don't know, but I, I do think I come across a number of people, a large, large amount of people who are, I would say they're, that moderation to them is just like exactly what you said, Ellie, or just try and drink a bit less. Mm-hmm. And if I think about why, why I was trying to drink less and in inverted commas, moderate, it was because there's kind of these spurious numbers about like, oh, we we should be drinking, what is it, 14 units a week or something? Gone down, I think. Or maybe if, if it either went down to that or it's gone oh. down lower. Yeah. So, you know, you've got this, 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 your allowance, your weekly allowance. And I always, and, and still now, it's like, well, you're never going to enjoy yourself on that are you like <laughs> it goes pretty quickly so it it's like well it goes back to that like the the rules for me would have never it's that cognitive distance it would never never be enough that it would be pleasurable so what's the point anyway and then the bit that I want to align here is I'm part of the reason I'm trying to drink the number of units is because some somebody somewhere is telling me that that's safe slash healthy it's not it isn't and the best news about all of this is that there is a way to not have to consume any at all so you don't have to worry about the number of units you don't have to think about it at all you can be the healthiest and strongest you've ever been 
and get a life upgrade at the same time. That's what's on offer. Like, what a, what a freaking message that is. Yeah. But you, I mean, and this is, I said to you before, just before I say what I was going to say, I wanted to, I've got two pieces of paper here. These are things that I wrote years ago when I was in Poland. And this was when I was in the middle of the, why the fuck am I doing something I don't want to do? And I, I, mm. these pieces of paper are scribbled with things that say stuff like, um, okay, S- slow down how much alcohol you're drinking. Don't drink more than two to three. Why would you ever want to drink more than three beers? The morning is too important, right? Um, it goes on. There's all sorts of this. At the time, I didn't really know why. I didn't have the information as to, well, why would I want to drink more than three? Because logically, I knew. But I, I mean, I had to, I learned that over time. And um, I think you're right, Ellie. I think the thing is that now for some people, and I do know people, I often say, look, taking your power back from alcohol, that's what I'm interested in helping people do. I have no interest in me projecting my view on someone else. So I have had a number of people who've come to me and said, I really want to try this moderation thing. I'm like, okay, well, let's get real about this and let's really figure out what's going on. Now, some of those people have gone away and they've said to me, look, it's not perfect. I'm going to be honest. Like I slip up. I still have these horrible days. And, but, but this is where I am for now. Other people have come back around and said, yeah, that's not for me. I've lived that for two months now. And I now see everything that we went through mm. is true. I get it now at a level that I just couldn't, I couldn't quite believe it when we were talking about it before, but now I get it. But what I notice about the people that come back myself included and they say yeah it's a myth i can't do it for for me it's not real it's not real suddenly this door opens that wouldn't open before because you said it earlier ellie the moment there's a belief in there be it subconscious whatever where you believe there is any kind of benefit there you're there's that door doesn't open in my experience but the moment that final thread is cut and we can talk about how to cut it because I think the ways that you can cut it, there are ways that aren't scary. You don't have to do the forever thing at the beginning. Mm. Like mm. we're going to talk about that. But the moment you cut that thread and you surrender in a positive way to the, holy shit, I'm doing this then, am I? A door opens. Mm. And that door, my friends, well, that's present and sober that. Mm. <laughs> that, and that it, is, And it fucking feels good. I re- I can still remember that moment, that exact moment that I, this big belief, I drink to relax. And there in black and white is the evidence that not only does it not relax me, it does the exact opposite. And I'm, I'm severely stressed. So why am I going to exacerbate that? And it was strangest feeling like the desire to drink just gone in an instant. And whilst I, I did have the, the social stuff came up pretty quickly, thoughts like, well, how am I going to socialise then? I've only ever socialised drinking. Will my friends want to socialise with me? But despite that, this opening, this new possibility was so bloody exciting. Yeah. And the fact that it was going against the grain made it feel even better. The fact it was subversive and it, it was just, it was like this. I don't even know how to put words to it. It was like, 
it was like being it was like having some kind of visitation from I don't know some being that's like da da and you never thought that this would be possible so and, and when you come from a place of real pain that it's like this the light for the first time you see the light it's like oh oh mate you had uh, you had an insight you had the mother of all insights bang and and like when we see something fresh from the core of our being consciousness when it just when we drop into that space before the story and it collapses now for whatever reason that belief was the thread for you and i think for me it was I felt a bit more like fucking spaghetti junction and it was like bits being pruned off all the time. And the final ones that went for me were something huge happened the moment I clicked publish on my blog, something huge happened the moment I got my silly little tattoo, something, those things were like badass accountability, um, authenticity, like these different things for different people. They were, I'm not, I couldn't even tell you exactly, but, and I also want people to know that, this doesn't have to take a huge amount of time. Like there are, oh. you can work at the level of belief. It's also possible, and I've seen it often, that if you drop into the space before the story, go back and listen to the episode with Scott as well. This would be really powerful for anyone who hasn't listened to this. Scott Pinyard, we talk about this. From that vantage point, you realize, oh, that's all. There might be kind of a neurological element to it, but the moment you see, oh, like I had a load of beliefs around that. I don't, ha- they can fall away in an instant. It's like you say, it's like you get this, it's like a weight comes off you that you didn't know was mm. there. Oh yeah, yeah. And it's the craziest thing. And that, that is the freedom bit that we're talking about. And, and like, I don't feel like from the moment I had that experience, I don't feel like I had a choice anymore. I was like, holy shit like mm. i'm going to spend my life to some extent what in whatever this looks like helping people feel this shit oh, because yeah. i had yeah. no idea that this was even available someone said to me the other day actually two days ago a wonderful client of mine we finished up our one-on-one sessions and she said to me sam if i had known that the jewels that were on offer were the jewels that i've received from this process I would not, I, I, she's, I am so glad that I came into contact with you. And for some reason I was like, I'm going to take a leap of faith. This is it. And that's it. Like people, there are jewels on offer that you don't even know are there right now. Mm. If you make the leap. And even if you're like, if you haven't been drinking and you're still struggling a bit, there are jewels that it's, 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 you're not broken. Anyone can get to this place. I, I positively like know that <laughs> it's, a, it's something that anybody can get to in their own way yeah um, and, and, and actually if you feel like you are broken because I used to think all the time it's just something wrong with me mm. um that suffering I could argue gets you there quicker it's polishing you yeah. like it's it's like grist for the mill, as Ram Dass used to say. Oh, it's like yeah. cleansing your it's like karma. bloody Andrea now. It's like <laughs> yeah. Andrea giving me the grist all the while. There you go. But it's yes. like it's grinding you down yes. until the point where you're like, what oh. the fuck? <laughs> and then yeah. like things. And it's that's like there's no, on this journey, 
Um, I mean, look, it's not required that you have to go through the pain and stuff, but it's still fucking effective. <laughs> it's still going to, you know. It's very effective. And so be- perhaps before we depart to reconvene for part two, the one thing that I would, like anybody that's interested in taking that leap of faith, but is perhaps struggling with making the leap, then I have to say the the thing that was transformative for me was being willing to be wrong, to blow up everything. The like, right, well, if I was wrong about that first belief, then what else have I been wrong about? Because that being the the uncovering of the being wrong is the egoic self. And then what's underneath when you peel all of the layers back and you blow apart all of the beliefs that aren't really yours, you you find this, this authenticity and it's it's like it's like living a, an entirely different life the one you were meant to from the beginning that's it oh fucking love we've gone a bit deep <laughs> let's lighten it up at the end let's talk about the slippery fish again slippery fish go for it so we were just talking about slippery fish Ali. but look like we said at the beginning we, me and you know that this fish is very slippery. But on the journey of learning about this, um, there, are, there are things that are important. If we're going to try and figure out whether this is doable, if we're going to learn, really learn, whether it, this is a, even a possibility. Like for some people who may have listened to this and gone, yeah, I get it. Like, why would I, why would I want to do that? But for others not. And like, it's, that's, that's fine. There's no judgment here. So... For those of us who are thinking, I, yeah, I think this is something that I want to explore. Like, I feel like I know a lot more and there's still this thread that's there. What are we, what are our sort of um, tips on this? Because it's, it's not well, easy. No. And, and you've hit on the first thing and that's removing the judgment because in all likelihood, you will have some layer of judgment around the decision that you are making. And particularly if you're comparing yourself with others, so never compare yourself to, to anybody else. There is no comparison. We're all unique. Our journeys are unique. It's one way to undermine yourself pretty quickly. And you can't have... do it. Sorry, Ellie, I thought you'd stop going and shoot. That's all right, go on. I was going to say, you can't just, actually do just it. Just talk all over. <laughs> Sorry. You can't do it. We compare, we we kind of have some kind of idea of what's going on inside of us. Right. But there's a whole load of stuff that we're not aware is going on. And, you know, then we compare and then we're like, Oh, well, I know what's going on for that person. We don't even know what's bloody going on with us a lot of the time. So we can't, you actually can't compare or the best you can do is compare what someone appears to be doing through your filter, which is not what's actually happening. So give up the comparison game. Yeah. And give up the judgment because judgment will keep you stuck. And it's as easy as you just don't do it. You just stop it. Stop that now. Stop judging yourself. Reframe whatever's going on to this bit. Like this is just a part of it. 
it doesn't mean anything unless you make it mean something. It doesn't mean that you failed. It doesn't mean that you are weak or weaker than somebody else. It's it's just a part of it. And you know what? Like data points, it's a bloody good part of it because you learn so much. It's one thing to hear from somebody else about their experience. And it's one thing to read the data, consume the content and the books and things. But there's nothing like you were referring to my insight earlier on, Sam. There's nothing like your own insight. No. That's it just feels entirely different. I mean, I think it's it's the only way to truly it depends on what your definition of so freedom's a funny word, right? But if we're talking about really truly feeling free, where there's no weight, you've got no desire to do it, you know, you can go where you want, you can be around alcohol, all that stuff. I think insight's the way to that place because without it, you're always trying to convince yourself that something doesn't make sense to you, even though it does. So what you do is you make your world smaller. You stop going to certain events. You don't go to certain places because you're worried that this might happen or that might happen, or you might have this trigger or that trigger. And over time that can become insidious and your world can just get smaller and smaller and smaller. Now, if you go out and learn all of this stuff that we've been talking about in the world and you learn what you like, you know, what you like for you. Right. Mm. And you, you can, then there's loads of power in that and you will start having insights about, because maybe you didn't know some of the stuff we've spoken about in today's episode and you're going to see things differently. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's, and I I've lost count Ellie, of the amount of people that have come back and said, look, I needed to go away. I just had to go away oh, for yeah. a while and test that yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. It's all to be celebrated and, you know, you, you can try and orchestrate things the way that you think it should be, but it's never going to feel right. But that when that release of acceptance and just immersing yourself into like, let, let it be, let it be. It's, you know, it's, it's not the end of the world. It's the start of your liberation. Hey team, there we have it. So we had a chat there around our kind of personal philosophies around moderation and kind of our experiences. And uh, in the next part, we'll be talking about kind of more tips and tricks um, to if, if you're going to moderate, if you're going to learn from it, if you're going to have the best shot at it, like different things that you can and can't do. But we also continue the discussion around our personal feelings and what we've learned because it's kind of impossible not to. Um, so it's definitely worth tuning into part two if you've uh, if you've been listening to part one awesome as i say come join us in the facebook group we'd absolutely love to have you live q a's coming up announcements coming up just uh just exciting times in the world of present and sober and we're so happy that you're here sharing this journey with us awesome see you soon